and this is Changing the Narrative. I am your host, David Reeves, and we are here with Dr. Jim Johnson uh, from Dallas, Texas. Welcome to the program. Thank you. It's great to have you here. Um, You know, we call this changing the narrative because there is this narrative that's been set for us for the last few generations. It's an atheistic narrative, a narrative that says, oh, there's no need for God. The natural world explains everything. But you work with the Institute for Creation Research and clearly, research is showing that there is a creator. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Sure. Well, everything that we see really displays God's creatorship, and not just the fact that he's the creator, but his glory. He is showing that he controls, he, he's the owner of the universe, and because of that, he controls it. And he is working in many ways that if we have the eyes to see it, we will appreciate it. There's a lot of what God is doing that goes unnoticed, and yet uh, if you if you take the time, you will realize he's doing millions of things, tons of things that are very important, and it's going on all around us. He is showing his glory, and he is working mightily. Amen to that. You know, we just got through, uh, what was it, last night with the world premiere of Animals of Alaska, God's Living Treasures, the latest in the documentary series. And we were looking at the humpback whale and the leatherback turtle and the lynx and the puffin and the myrrh and the bald eagle and all of these creatures that are clearly showing the glory of God. It's like the invisible things since the very beginning are revealing the Godhead itself, his eternal power. All we have to do is start looking for them. That that is so true. But what we want to talk about um, today, I I want you to give us a little history lesson here. Um, There's a passage in the Bible where this whole concept of everything all around us sort of interconnecting uh, becomes even more clear with the research that you've done. Can you tell me a little bit about that? Sure. The uh, last book that the Apostle Paul wrote is Second Timothy. And so, and he knows that he is about to go home to heaven. He knows that the way that he will go home is that he will be a martyr for the Lord Jesus. And so he's basically saying his last goodbyes. And these are the people he really cares about. And after he's given his final instructions and his final teaching, his final exhortations of how to live for Christ, make your life count. And then he's saying goodbye. And he's saying goodbye to his really good friends. And when we look at that fourth chapter of Second Timothy, a, a lot of those just look like names to us. But those were real people who really made a difference in Paul's life and in the lives of many others. And so just three of those names we can uh, spend the next few minutes thinking about, and that's in verse 21. So if you were to read 2 Timothy chapter 4, verse 21, where Paul is giving some of his last final greetings to these people who he loves very much, mm-hmm. and there's a little history behind um three of the names that we're about to look at. Let's read it. Uh, verse 21. Uh, so we're Second Timothy 4.21. Do thy diligence to come before winter. Eubulus greeteth thee, and Pudens, and Linus, and Claudia, and all the brethren. Okay, so you've just mentioned Pudens, who also is known as Rufus Pudens. 
He's mentioned as Rufus uh, elsewhere in Scripture. And then Linus and Claudia. Now, to some of us, when we read the name Linus, we think of a cartoon character, a Charlie Brown character who always has a blanket with him. Uh Well, this is not that Linus. Um, uh, But we know from secular history a little bit about the family that Linus and Claudia came from. Okay. Uh, Linus is the Latinized form of his Celtic name, Lynn, L-L-Y-N. And his sister's Celtic name was Gladys, G-L-A-D-Y-S. But they end up getting their names Latinized, or you could say Romanized, because they're going to end up in Rome. And so Gladys there is known as Claudia, and her brother is known as Linus. Hmm. How did that happen? The Romans, uh, as part of the ancient Roman Empire, conquered the southern part of the island of Britain, what is today England and Wales. Yes. And uh, they didn't conquer the Scots. Um, (laughs) But in England, there were from time to time rebellions from the different, uh, particularly the noble families of the Celts who used to run the show before the Romans showed up. And so every once in a while, there was a rebellion that the Romans would put down. And they would find out who was behind it, and they would do something to prov- to uh, uh, persuade uh, or, or to give a disincentive for this happening again in the future. Yeah. Typically, they would capture, they, they would kill some of those who were involved in rebellion. They'd capture some of their family members. They would take them as hostages to Rome. They might execute some of them in Rome, but keep the others as hostages. And then some, send one or more members of the family back to the island of Britain, basically saying, uh, you are to help us to run this part of Britain. But this was a statement, basically, that they were making. Yes, and and they were persuading those who they sent back, you will cooperate with us, you will be our, our helpers in helping to rule the land that you grew up in. You know everybody, you have all the connections, and you're going to rule on behalf of Rome, or you're going to help the Roman occupation. And if you don't, well, remember, we have some of your family members in Rome, and, and as hostages, we'll kill them off. Yes. M- most people, I mean, they don't think about the Roman connections all over Britain, England area. I was on a one-week speaking tour about two years ago in England, and in a three-hour radius, everywhere I went, went around London, I'm seeing this Roman influence mm-hmm. with all of the ancient ruins and all of the structures. It was a lot more influential than we think. Yes, very much so. I mean, the Romans got there before Christ came to earth, and they didn't uh, start leaving until around the 300s, the 400s is when they pulled out, and then Britain was overtaken by the Saxons, and then later the the, uh, Vikings came in, and it became what we call Anglo-Saxon England. But at the time that the Romans were there, they were very much running the show, And this was happening immediately after Christ had died for our sins, risen, and ascended into heaven. And the gospel is going out. The Great Commission is going different places, and it's traveling by the technology of that day, uh, of those days, I should say. Um, And that involved ships, uh, and that involved, uh, of course, land travel. Okay. So you end up with Claudia and Linus, her brother, in Rome as prisoners at the same time when the Apostle Paul is a prisoner in Rome. Interesting. And then you have this other individual, Pudens. Pudens was not a Celt from Britain. 
He was a member of a Roman noble family and had quite a reputation in the secular world there for being a uh, a um, a kind of a wild partying, uh, uh, very flamboyant individual uh, who lived a lifestyle that was not Christian. We'll put it that way. <laughs> now, and this is amazing. You're saying that. These people mentioned in the Bible, and of course, a lot of people look at the Bible as nothing more than fairy tales, but you can actually trace these people in history and other historical sources and find out about their character. Yes. In fact, one of the Roman writers, his name is uh, Marshall, uh, M-A-R-T-I-A-L. He he was a a poet and a writer and commented on his times, and he knew Rufus Pudens. Rufus meaning red, so he either must have had a reddish complexion or maybe red hair, but that would have been his nickname. And he noticed that Pudens had changed his behavior. Well, Pudens had gotten married to Claudia. Oh. And Claudia, uh, by the Roman nobility, would have been regarded as a savage. She's from this wild place, uncivilized place called Britain. Hmm. And, uh, you know, people lived in primitive buildings and and uh, they didn't have the glory of Rome. That would be the perspective of a Roman nobleman. Mm-hmm. Well, as it turns out, Pudens had become a Christian. OK. And uh, Linus and Claudia had become Christians during the time that they were in prison in Rome, which is the same time when Paul is there. And also Paul's friends would have been meeting him there. So there would have been a lot of Christians who would have uh been interacting with people who were hostages, you know, imprisoned. Anyway, one way or another, they got the gospel. Hmm. And what you find if you if you research the family history of Linus and Claudia is that uh, within the next couple generations, the children are named names like Paul and Timothy. Oh wow. So that was that big of an influence. Obviously. And, and you know, Lynn and Caradog and uh, whose Latin name is Caractus uh, and, of course, Gladys. Those are Celtic names. But here they are naming, you know, you got a member of the family a little bit down farther on the on the family tree mm-hmm. named Paul mm-hmm. or named Timothy. Well, wh- why were they so impressed with those two names that they end up in the family? Anyway, Marshall, uh, who's a secular Roman writer, he's trying to figure out why has Pudens' behavior changed? And because Pudens used to be this wild man. Mm-hmm. And uh, he says, how can it be that our friend Pudens has been civilized by marrying a savage? Whoa. So he thinks that the reason why Putin's behavior has changed is because he's been so changed by by being married to this Celtic savage, as he would call it. Well, he's he's not recognizing that God is the one who is changing the character of Putin's. Uh-huh. And that's why Putin's is a is a good family man now and is living a very different lifestyle than what he did before he became a Christian. So you see even the unsaved trying to figure out what's going on with these changed lives. And Marshall, at least at that point, hadn't figured it out that it was because his friend Putin's had gotten saved. Interesting. He sees the difference. Yes. But can't seem to comprehend why there's such this radical difference. And yet, as Christians, we know that when we receive Christ, he sends us the comforter, the Holy Mm -hmm. Spirit Mm -hmm. to lead us into truth and 
there's this radical change in his life documented in a historical source. Yes. <laughs> so that's all that's all sitting there in 2 Timothy 4:21 when you read Linus that's Lynn yeah. and when you read Claudia that's Gladys and when you read Pudens that's Rufus Pudens who married Claudia. And if, unbelievable. And then uh, some of the family left Rome were taken back to Britain uh, and allowed to to go back to represent Rome and to uh, rule things the way that Rome wanted. But going back to Rome, they took the gospel with them. So during the first century, you have the gospel going back to Britain because of these uh, activities. And here the, the Roman ships are actually providing the transportation for the gospel to go to the island of Britain. Britain. And this is one verse that most people yeah. would read right over. I mean, right. it's like, okay, he's clearly talking about some friends of his. We have no idea who they are. Not really important. Move to the next verse. Let's go to the next chapter. No, one verse yeah. has all of this history behind it. Yes. And it's all rooted within Christianity. Yes. And uh, the, the the scholar who did the, the bulk of the research of what I'm trying to summarize is uh, Dr. Bill Cooper. He went to be with the Lord about a year ago, but he's been a good friend of mine for, well, since the late 1990s. Wow. And he did a, uh, a, a doctoral dissertation on the history of Linus and Claudia and Pudens. And so, you know, that's why... I, I know some of these details. <laughs> we appreciate you sharing. Now, what can we be encouraged by this, and what can we learn and take away from this in our lives? Well, one thing that, that this will help us to remember is that God has been at work to give us the family backgrounds that we have, which are important, otherwise we don't arrive here. That's right. And so one thing that we can realize is that our God's work to give us the lives that we have, which he didn't have to give us, it didn't begin when we were conceived. It happened long before we were born because he was working the lives of all of our ancestors who all had to meet each other at the right times and, and many other details had, had to happen um, or we wouldn't be here. Yeah. And so if you take the time to research your own family history and learn about, you know, say, how did how did your father meet your mother? And how did how did their ancestors, uh, you know, we live here in America. Well, many of our ancestors didn't start in America. Yeah. And if we go back a few generations, they came from somewhere else. Well, God had to arrange all of that to happen or else we don't happen. And that's just that's just ourselves. That's just the starting point is is appreciating all the work that God did over all the years so that we would be created who we are, biogenetically speaking. So our story began a long time ago, and it's been weaved together by the Lord so that we are today where we're supposed to be for a reason. And this is even through adversity, right? Because some of these people were jailed. They were taken into Rome. They were taken, Mm -hmm. and then they were sent back just so that all of these things could fall into place. 
at the correct moment in history. And it could be generations down the road that Mm -hmm. your story, maybe you're going through some persecutions or some trials, but really there is a grand story being played out. The Lord knows what he's doing and he's going to take you through those. Yeah. And he's accomplishing a gazillion things all at the same time. (laughs) You know, it's not like we we use the expression, well, kill two birds with one stone. <laughs> the number of things that he's accomplishing all at the same time, we don't have a number for that. Right. Um, but don't stop there, although do research your own family history to find out what God did in the past that helped what needed to happen next so that when it was your time to be born, um, you would be in the right place at the right time with the right parents, with the right grandparents and all that. But uh, go beyond that. And there are other people in your lives who are not related to you by blood, who God has used to bless you in a huge way. And if you have the opportunity, take the time to learn something about what God was doing in their family ancestry, because if they didn't arrive at the right time in the right place, then they would not have been there to be a big blessing to you. Mm. So I'll just uh, I'll just mention two examples of that that are personal to me. Absolutely. One would be I uh, had an occasion to research um, quite a bit of the family history of my wife. Well, if she didn't arrive, uh, I wouldn't be the husband and father and grandfather that I am. Um, but And then there's uh, a man who taught me the Bible when I was a teenager, and that's my youth pastor. And he provided me with uh, theological uh, understanding that I did not receive in the family that I was hmm. growing up in. So he's made a huge difference in my life in, in teaching me who God is and how to know him and how to how to um, appreciate his grace one day at a time. Well, his family were refugees after World War II who eventually made it to America. But before that happened, they went through many adventures with uh, uh, the Nazis, with the communists, uh, with just many of the ravages that go with war. And um, we've got we've got about five minutes if you want to share just a little bit about how some of them escaped from different countries. Well, uh, um, it took me nine history journal articles to, to to even include the highlights, but they had a huge amount of adventure before they ended up in America, and one, uh, there were 12 of them who made it uh, alive out of World, World War II. Wow. Uh, my youth pastor's uh, twin sister died as a baby, but the rest of the family successfully made it to America. He eventually went to Moody Bible Institute, learned the Bible, and became my youth pastor. Uh, his, his parents um, had an unusual meeting. His father attended a church service and heard a girl singing and decided he wanted to marry her. And so uh, through a written uh, proposal, that is, he delivered this proposal of marriage to someone in in the church in the town he lived in who transferred to someone else. And eventually it made it to this girl that he wanted to marry. She accepted that. So they actually agreed to marry before they'd actually spoken to each other. But he wanted a wife who was really good at music, had a really good voice. Wow. Because times were tough and he wanted music in the house and he wanted whatever children they had to to appreciate music. Well, that couple 
and their 10 kids, 10 surviving kids, made it through World War II, and they were captured. Uh, the mother was captured by uh, the Nazis once, escaped by crawling underneath a, a train that was stopped. Uh, the, the father uh, was in the Yugoslavian army, um, didn't want to be, but was, and then they surrendered, and then the Nazis wanted to draft him. Uh, he was able to escape that by sleeping in a tree, when they came looking for him, he slept in a tree many times, uh, and then the communists were coming to get him to be part of their team, and he slept in the tree to avoid that. They went through several countries at the end of the war trying to, you know, get – they they wanted to get out of Yugoslavia because they saw it was going communist, and then they lived in different places, eventually got to Austria and were able to – Get on a plane, and uh, by the way, my youth pastor's name is Bob Webble, and mm-hmm. um, they they made it to America. I, I wish I could go into a whole lot more detail, but if we have a minute or two left, I want to give a couple other quick examples. Absolutely. Okay, just, just so that you can appreciate how God works in history um, in order to prepare for something that's needed down the road. In the year 1066, there was a battle called the Battle of Hastings, where where William of Normandy came and defeated the defending king of England. The battle looked like it could go either way, but at the end of the day, William the Conqueror had won. That's why he's called William the Conqueror, instead of William the Loser. And and, uh, about two years later, he became the father of a son, which means if he had died in battle that day, he would not have had this last-born son. There's no second place medals for dying on the battlefield. No, no. <laughs> and, you, and you don't get to father another child two years later. Well, a direct descendant of that last born son is George Washington. So there never would have been a George Washington if William the Conqueror had died in October of 1066 at the Battle of Hastings. Wow. But 19 days before that, there was another battle called the Battle of Stamford Bridge, a little farther north in England, where where uh, Harold Hardrada of Norway came to attack England, and the defending king at that point actually won, but 19 days later, he lost. But on the day that he won at Stamford Bridge and Harold Hardrada lost, they had about two dozen Viking ships full of warriors who came for that battle from Norway and other lands nearby. I'm sorry. They had 300, 300 ships full of Viking warriors. Okay. And only about two dozen after the battle taking the survivors. Mm-hmm. So 8% of those who were invading survived. That's not a high survival yeah, rate. Yeah. So if you were on the invader side, you had a low chance of surviving. Yeah. Uh, Harold Hardrada, the, the, the attacking general, or I guess you call him the, the king, he died. But his son, Olaf survived. And that's good because Olaf, about six years later, became the father of Magnus. And it's through Magnus, who wouldn't exist if Olaf had died at the Battle of Stamford Bridge. It's through Olaf that we get someone we know as King James. There never would have been a King James Bible if Olaf uh, had died at the Battle of Stamford Bridge late September of 1066. Wow. God wanted us to have the King James Bible. God wanted us to have George Washington in the country we call America. And God knew that in the year 1066 when these battles were happening. God is doing all kinds of things all at the same time to provide for our lives and for the lives of others. And that day there was only an 8% chance right. 
that this would happen. Yeah, there was an 8% chance that Olaf would be a survivor. Wow. Because most of those who came in those 300 boats didn't live to see the next day. And all of the other situations that led up to that and the ones after that would have reduced that percentage even further, even further. So there's a million chances for something mm-hmm. to go wrong. Exactly. And yet everything worked out perfectly so that we could have the King James Bible, you're saying. Exactly. And that's the most published book of anything in the world. Uh, there's more than two billion hard copies of the King James that have been published since 1611. Wow. And uh, there, whatever book is in second place is so far back you can't see it. <laughs> well, and that's the thing, because God's Word has been preserved through adversity mm-hmm. for thousands of years. People have shed their blood so that we could have a Bible to read. And yet it's more than just a history. But we've been talking about a lot of history here, but mm-hmm. that's more than just a history book. That's mm-hmm. God's word. He's actually speaking to us through that. Mm-hmm. And he's telling us stuff that without without his word, we would just not know it, period. That's true. It's not research real hard. Maybe you'll find it. It's no. There is so much that is in the Bible that if God didn't tell us it, we just would never know it. We would never know. And we would never realize just how we can see that it's divinely inspired by reading it Mm -hmm. because all of the advances in technology. And yet it's still 100 percent scientifically true, historically true, Mm -hmm. prophetically true, true when it comes to the gospel message. Sure. This there's there are no coincidences when you look at it this way and you realize that God's orchestrating something in each and every one of our lives to put us in the position where we are right now, no matter how difficult it is, no matter what we're going through, there's a purpose for all of it. That sure is. Spend 60 seconds and tell me about uh, Institute for Creation Research and some of the work that y'all have been doing. Uh, well, we stay busy. We have a, um, a research project on cave fish, and uh, we've had research project on mosquitoes. Um, I probably couldn't do it justice in the next few sentences, but but we're uh, doing a lot of research on how to prove and to to display how God has designed creatures so that they are very well equipped to deal with different environments, so that if their sensors indicate that the environment has changed around them such as going from uh, a stream that has sunlight Mm -hmm. to being inside a cave that is so dark there's no light at all. The fish's body will actually switch certain systems on and switch certain systems off in order to deal in a good way with the, the environment around it. A switching off of eyesight is not upwards evolution. No, it's not. And it also doesn't have happen over gradual, long amounts of time. We're talking about generation, one generation. Right. Many of these major changes happen within one generation because the design inside the body is recognizing changes in the environment and it's immediately adjusting to it. Thank you, Dr. Jim Johnson, for being here today. Uh, this has been a fascinating look at history, and uh, I look forward to having you back in the future. Well, thank you, David. It's always a real pleasure to be here with you. Thank you. And this is Changing the Narrative. I'm David Reeves, and we will see you next time. <laughs>